Tonight's episode of Nightmare University is brought to you by Fangoria.com. Your homepage for horror is here. Fangoria.com is now live and brimming with the digital horror content you crave. Fangoria.com is your destination for all the stories that couldn't fit in the physical magazine. Long-form pieces, deep dives, daily thoughts from the biggest names in horror, exclusive access to the Fangoria vaults, as well as a constant curation of our favorite links from across the internet. Right now, all subscribers to the magazine are automatically members of Fangoria.com. And as promised, the content of the new issues will forever be print only. If you're not already a subscriber, check out the new Fangoria.com for yourself and see the horror right before your eyes. Fangoria.com. Tonight's episode of Nightmare University is brought to you by Fright Rags. Celebrating the 30th anniversary of Tim Burton's classic Edward Scissorhands with an all-new collection of apparel featuring shirts, socks, and enamel pins. Available Tuesday, January 21st. Also this week, they are releasing the second Vestron collection featuring shirts for Waxworks, Blood Diner, and Wishmaster. Available Friday, January 24th. Exclusively at fright-rags.com. Again, that's fright-rags.com. Nightmare University listeners get an additional 10% off of their first order using the code NIGHTMARE10 at checkout. Again, that is 10% off with NIGHTMARE10 at checkout at fright-rags.com. Tonight's episode of Nightmare University is also brought to you by horrorcoverage.com. If you're serious about writing, then you know how important it is to get professional feedback and script coverage. But most script sites only offer generic coverage with little to no genre experience. That's why you need to go to horrorcoverage.com. With a combined 40 plus years of working in the horror entertainment industry, horrorcoverage.com offers knowledgeable advice as well as straightforward pricing and plans to suit all of your needs. So if you're ready to take your horror screenplay to the next level, take it to horrorcoverage.com. Hello, and welcome to Nightmare University. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca McKendry. And before we jump into tonight's episode, I want to announce that we have um, a Patreon now going and a whole new show surrounding that. So you can go to any of the Nightmare University socials and find information. You can head to our Instagram, our Twitter, or our Facebook page. And all of them feature information about our new Patreon and the accompanying show Deep Cuts and what you get with it. In addition, a lot of people had asked me for, um, I'll call them cheat sheets, like lists of all of the films that we talk about in every episode. And those are now available as well through the Patreon. So even tonight's episode, Technology and Horror, you can go to the Patreon after the show and you can get a list of all of the movies and all of the books that I'm going to be discussing throughout tonight's show for just a couple bucks. And thank you immensely to those folks who have already supported the show on the Patreon account. Really appreciate it and hope you're enjoying um, the new secondary show, Deep Cuts. So without further ado, let's jump into technology and horror. This is a topic that I had been really wanting to tackle for a long time. And I have to say that I have kind of a backstory with it and why this meant so much to me. When I was doing my master's degree in film, 
I was taking an international film class and the majority of the stuff that we talked about in there was kind of classical cinema, classical international cinema. So we were watching a lot of Ozu. We were watching a lot of Bellatar. We were watching a lot of classical Italian cinema like The Bicycle Thief, but we weren't watching any horror, no international horror whatsoever. So when the final paper rolled around, I decided that I had to do horror. And I decided to focus my final paper topic on a subgenre that I'm lovingly going to call Japanese techno gore. And this includes films like Tokyo Gore Police, Machine Girl, um, and, and other films of this type. What I've heard called the Sushi Typhoon films, but I've heard them kind of lumped into all these different categories. But essentially, they are hyper, hyper gory films, almost campy and comedic um, that always involve some type of technology. One of my favorite ones is Meatball Machine. They tend to be a little low budget, but some of them are, have higher budgets than others. So I decided to focus my final paper on this kind of enclave of films that I was seeing around the time that I was taking this class. And the professor, I saved the paper because I was so upset. He wrote on it that he gave me a B plus and he wrote on it that though the paper was well-written and well-researched, this topic was not appropriate in a master's film program. And it made me so fucking angry that I saved the paper. And I remember debating whether or not I should go to the dean and complain that he was not writing the paper I was and that the, techno the, the kind of way that I was talking about it definitely deemed it academic. Whether or not he considered the films to v be of value was of no importance as long as I was discussing it all academically and doing what I was supposed to do as a student. And it was one of my final classes that I was taking right before graduation. And I finally just ended it with a fuck it. I don't care. I saved the paper because it made me so angry. And then I completely stopped studying these films because I was so angry about what had happened. And I had such a bad taste in my mouth from it. But over the years, I have rekindled my love with these movies. I have watched Tokyo Gore Police a half a dozen other times. And it has really kind of fueled my um, love of examining technology and horror films across the board. And I'll talk more about it at the end, but I have a feeling that technology and horror films is something that we are going to see a lot of in the coming decade. And that's a big discussion that people have been having right now. Like, what is the next trend that we're going to see in Hollywood? 2010s have all been about, quote, elevated horror. I tend to really hate that term, but people have used it to describe adult horrors, very much like we saw in the 1970s, where it's much more stories about adults and their problems. Things like Don't Look Now now translates into things like Hereditary or The Babadook. And so these, quote, elevated horrors have been kind of a predominant thing of the last 10 years, as well as ghost stories. Blumhouse definitely fueled our love of kind of haunted house stories. And so the question has become, what is going to be the next trend moving into the 2020s? And to this, I have a couple of different answers and a couple of different theories about what the next big trend is going to be, including anything that's got kind of a social messaging behind it, eco-horror. I do think we're going to see another slasher boom again soon. But one of the ones that I definitely put at the top is technology horror films. Because technology keeps advancing, and it always will. We're never going to give up our iPhones now. We're just going to move on to something else that kind of, you know, feeds that same need that we've all come to know as the way that we live our lives. 
And as long as technology keeps advancing and we keep doing things to kind of push it forward, we will always find a way to kind of work technology into our horror films. But this is nothing new. Society has always loved to explore kind of what the future holds and what technology holds. And it's not even just on small scales like horror. We can think so large with this. Two of the most well-known ones, I would say, are Star Trek and Star Wars. Both of them, these science fiction explorations of kind of what potentially could happen in the future. We've also got the Jetsons. We've got Blade Runner. We've got Doctor Who. We've got Godzilla. Some of our largest media outfits tend to be these kind of futuristic looks of what may or may not happen. So then the question becomes why? Why has this always been popular? And the first one is that we are always trying to predict our own future. We are always trying to stay one step ahead of whatever is going on right now, trying to foresee where this could go. As soon as the iPhone gets invented, we immediately see people trying to figure out where it could go. As soon as the computer gets invented, we're trying to see where it can go. We also are trying to give warnings of our own fate. And this is a big thing now that global warming has become a factor where we start kind of feeling our own fate of the planet and where technology could eventually lead us. In this, we are also exploring our own possibilities as humans. What potentially could we create next and where might that lead? Part of it, I will say, is paranoia. We have always been paranoid about technology, and this is nothing new, and we're going to explore this in a bit, that anytime something gets invented, the very first thing that happens is we become hyper-paranoid about it, that there could be something bad, that something could be used against us in some capacity. And so the paranoia is nothing new. Additionally, we also have always been distrustful of those in charge. Kind of our, our revelation that Facebook might not be altruistic is nothing new. We, from the dawn of technology, have always been kind of distrustful of it. We embrace it and we love it, but at the same time, we're always kind of, you know, nervous about what potentially it could be doing that we don't know about. And then ultimately, the future is damn scary. None of us know where we're headed and we are moving at a lightning pace forward with technologies both scientific, medical, trying to explore, you know, the limits of our own intelligence, of artificial intelligence, of our own universe. And and as we push forward, it is scary. So of course, horror is going to echo these fears. And we can really see these fears in the themes that we see emerge in technology horror. The first one is that the future is good with this kind of bad underbelly, that somehow we work out some of the bad shit that's going on and we improve technology or we improve medical advancements or we're able to end crime or end hunger, but that there is this horrible thing going on to replace it. It's the kind of the idea of Soylent Green, that we have been able to solve the world food problems, but ultimately how we did this is at a horrible, horrible cost. And in this same note, we see the idea that the most innocent advancements cause society's downfall, that we try to cure one thing. We try to cure a childhood disease and thus creates giant bug people in the subway who try to kill us and mimic. It's always this kind of altruistic thing that we are trying to stop one thing. And by doing so, we cause this crazy catastrophic event. We also see the theme that we will lose our identity in ourselves, that as we are playing around with the idea of 
artificial intelligence and intelligence in general, or even now that social networking has become a thing that we create these kind of artificial personalities for ourselves, that we will lose identity and self in this mix. We also see the concept that we will be controlled by tech, that ultimately the tech will kind of take over, that we will become the slaves to technology. Um, some would argue that we are already getting close to that, so we've been starting to see that creep into horror a little bit, especially in the show Black Mirror, that we have become self-absorbed by technology, and in this, we lose our grasp on the reality. And this is definitely something that we see in Matrix, but we're going to talk about some of the different media projects that even kind of predecess Matrix. The idea that technology can advance so much that that is what we come to know. It kind of becomes our Plato's cave, that we lose grasp on what is actually real or what we think is real. We also see a lot of fear of playing God in these movies. And this is nothing new. We're going to talk about it in just a couple seconds when we talk about Frankenstein. But the idea that if we try to control too much stuff, that if we try to control our own organs or control um, destiny or, or kind of alter genetic coding and things like that, that things will go bad, that we should not be playing God. Or in some cases we should, but there's other repercussions for it. Ultimately, a lot of these horror films give us this kind of destined for dystopia feel that we will continue advancing because, of course, we will, and that ultimately we're kind of destined for this futuristic view where technology controls us. But again, this is nothing new. We have been seeing these themes for over a hundred years. Examples of technological horror can be found in literature throughout time, but we had a big surplus of it in the 1800s because we were actually making a lot of technological advancements. We were starting to experiment with submarines. We were starting to experiment with electricity. Even Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is based off the concept of galvanization that someone realized that if you stuck electrodes into a dead body and started sending electrical currents through it, that the body would move around and jump. So at the time when Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, it was not unheard of for people to set up galvanization in Times squares or as kind of public entertainment in displays where they would actually make corpses move around, reanimating the dead. And so this became Mary Shelley's prime inspiration for Frankenstein. The idea that if you apply enough electricity to a body, in this case, harnessing lightning, that you would be able to bring it back to life. So right there, we have this kind of act of playing God, and then we're allowed to kind of live the rest of the story and the repercussions of it. We also have the time machine coming out around the same time, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and War of the Worlds. So right around the 1800s, when we really start kind of reshaping technology, playing a lot with electricity and a lot of power, then we start seeing this kind of surplus of technology horror. Within a couple of decades, we have film at its infancy and almost immediately we begin seeing technology and horror because we're now at the turn of the century into the 1920s and everything is still moving forward at a lightning pace. We're now into the industrial revolution. And so we get things like a trip to the moon, Metropolis. And by the 1930s, we get Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein back to back, really kind of embracing the technology horror within the first couple of decades of film's creation. And though we definitely have a couple of tech horror titles that come out in the 30s and 40s, 
we see a boom in the 1950s, mostly because of a couple major events there. The first one being that we were starting to get close to going to space. We knew it was happening. Things were being launched into space and we had entered this kind of potential thing. Like we knew it was coming. And the second one is atomic radiation. By the 1950s, there was kind of this concept that atomic radiation could both save us and hurt us simultaneously. The idea of the atomic bomb became almost a pop culture thing during the 1950s, where things were being named after the atomic bomb. But at the same time, it was something that scared the heck out of us because of the red scare. So we were seeing this intense scare of atomic weapons, as well as a fascination with it. And so with that, we understood the idea of mutations. We understood that we were kind of playing with fire there. So we see it entering a lot of our horror films. We also see a lot of these films where we are going to space or something is coming from space. And then we also see a lot of films where we're toying around with science because 1950s were still kind of moving forward at this fast pace and making some major technological advances. Some of my absolute favorites are Them, which is about ants who are affected by radiation and go to crazy sizes, The Day the Earth Stood Still, and one of my personal favorites is 1959's The Wasp Woman. This was a Roger Corman film about a woman who ran a makeup company. And she was experimenting um, with all of these different ways to try to preserve her youth and starts putting royal jelly from bees on her face to try to preserve herself and eventually turns herself into a wasp like you do. We see things like The Tingler where it's all about a scientist. We see so many mad scientist movies about doing stuff or experimenting on stuff or turning people into different types of things. And then we have all of our different alien features where things are invading our space. We have the Twilight Zone, most of which focus on some type of like dystopian technology. A lot of them do. And even when they don't, they still have the same feeling. If we think about the Twilight Zone episode, Monsters on Maple Street, the whole thing, even though that it's not exactly about technology, it's just about a suburb, it is still about fear and paranoia of everything that is around us. And then we have other ones like, will the real alien please stand up? where we have this kind of, again, fear and paranoia of everything around us and truly believing that one person out of the people that we trust, the people that are around us will be evil, will be someone who is not part of the group, someone who has a higher understanding of technology than we do and is therefore using it to get us. Another one of my favorites is Fiend Without a Face from 1958. In this one, the military scientists who are experimenting with um, intelligence create these kind of giant killer floating brains with antenna. Um, and the movie has just kind of this fantastic camp value, but it additionally kind of has this mistrust of everything. We're mistrusting our own government. We're mistrusting the technology advancements. We're mistrusting each other. And then ultimately, it's the whole idea that all this technology is now being used against us, that it had kind of this altruistic beginning, but it's now being used against us. So the 1950s had this surplus of technology horror. And it continues a little bit into the 60s, and then we see more of counterculture horror take over. But then we have our next big technology horror boom in the 1980s, right around the same time that computers are really becoming a common thing. 
They aren't quite in every home in America at the top of the 1980s yet, but they are definitely becoming more commonplace in schools, in businesses. We're hearing more about them in the news. We're hearing more about technological companies. And so by the early 1980s, we're really starting to see another growth spurt in technological horror films. 1981, we have Evil Speak. This is probably one of the earliest computer horrors that I can think of, where we have um, Clint Howard playing this student who's ridiculed and made fun of, and he eventually finds this computer in the basement of his school and is able to talk with Satan through the computer, and through that is able to take revenge on his classmates. In 1980, we have Ken Russell's Altered States. This one is a mix of technological and like trippy, weird, surreal horror in that a guy is trying to experiment with his own psyche to see if he can push his brain into other dimensions and other realms, and he does, and then it keeps going. And again, it's kind of these altruistic starting points of, you know, trying to to figure out the capacity of the human brain continue going into uncharted territory and get bad. Some of the other standout technological horrors from the 1980s, Reanimator, which is of course based off a love story, but again, it's the whole idea that we are trying to preserve life and bring life back and it fit perfectly in with the 80s tone. From Beyond, Scanners, The Fly, which hit hard in the 1980s, a remake of a film from the 1950s, and then Chopping Mall. Chopping Mall was such a perfect 80s film because at this time we were really starting to see kind of a lot of stories about robots in the news. And I remember these from my childhood, you know, could robots um, come into our houses? Could we all have little robot butlers? Are robots something that we're going to see everywhere? Could they be used to help the elderly? And it was all of this kind of pontification about how much of our future lives would be impacted by robots. And so the whole idea of robot security guards in a mall just hit at the right time. It had this absolutely fantastic VHS box cover, and that was such a great film of kind of our fear, mistrust, and paranoia of where society could be headed. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, it's not always just big giant technological advances that we will see this kind of paranoia and fear about. It's not always just computers and the internet and robots. If we look at something like Videodrome or a couple of the other videotape horrors of the time period, Video Dead, um, there's a number of them, we see this kind of mistrust and questioning of the VCR. One of the things that I consider to be a staple when I look back at 1980s horror is the idea that we suddenly could view films in our own homes. It completely reshaped the way that people watch stuff. And in that, it really did cause a saturation in the horror market because you no longer had to go to a theater to see what some people would consider to be questionable movie. You could watch them in the privacy of your living room and no one had to be the wiser. And so because of this, horror really did have a heyday in the VHS markets. And so we start seeing VHS culture creep into the horror scene. The most well-known one obviously being Videodrome, which is not just delving into kind of the fear of the VHS tape, the idea of 
being able to preserve one's image and watch it over and over. We also see a little bit of the fear of cable television, the idea that people are creating these underground channels that can be broadcast out, the idea of kind of the smaller network that people can just send out these cable signals. That's entering into there as well. So we're seeing this fear of kind of the the viewing technology of VCRs and cable. One of my absolute favorites from the 1980s, again, comes out of Japan, and this is Tetsuo Iron Man. And this movie is so batshit crazy that I'm not even going to attempt on the show to try to give any type of firm understanding of what exactly it's about or what it's trying to say. But I will say that the majority of the movie is about um, a man who has been injured and therefore suddenly starts getting this disease where he feels... Um, compelled to put metal and iron into his body until he has literally kind of turned himself into a giant machine. And so the movie, it's gut-wrenching, it's gory, it's it's super um, artistically filmed, but at the same time, it's it's got this really grisly, grisly quality to it. It's absolutely amazing. And somehow, even without having kind of a firm understanding of exactly what the filmmaker was trying to say with it, it feels exactly 1980s. The idea that we are kind of converting ourselves to technology, that it is taking over and somehow becoming one with us. And so Tetsuo Iron Man, I highly recommend. It is not for kind of the um, the amateur horror viewers, but that said, it is an absolutely amazing um, experience uh, to watch it and one that you will not forget anytime soon. By the time that we move into the 1990s, we're still seeing a good amount of technology horror, but it has shifted. Um, it has shifted with the, the emerging technologies of the time period. So we're seeing things like Lawnmower Man, which is starting to look at the idea of virtual reality, which is starting to enter into the news, the idea that we were creating these virtual landscapes that looked completely different, but we were creating them and it would look real to you like you were existing in it. We see the movie Brain Scan, which I have a serious love for this movie, which is essentially about horror on CD-ROMs. Um, at the time, those AOL discs were being sent out in surplus to everyone. You would get dozens of them in the mail each month promising you free AOL hours. And so Brain Scan really does become kind of horror via CD-ROM because that was the technology at the time period. We're also seeing hardware around this same time period, as well as a couple horrors that are starting to play around with the internet, that are starting to say, by the mid-90s, a lot of suburban homes were now online, a lot of people had email, and so we see that start entering into the horror scene. One of my favorite topics that we see come out in 90s horror that then keeps going into the 2000s is the idea of horror and surveillance, the idea of people being watched. One of the biggest ones with this is 1993's Sliver. Not a horror film technically, but in a way it is where it's about a guy who has wired his entire apartment building with cameras so that he can watch everyone. And a thriller is born out of that, but at the same time it seems so horrific. 1997, we have Cube about a group of people who are put into a situation and they don't know why they're there and kind of forced to get out. It predecessed Saw and a couple of the other films like that. And Cube, the one thing that they know is that they feel like they're being watched. They feel like they were put there on purpose and they don't know why they're there, but they feel like something is watching them and is aware of them. There's also a super small, super obscure film that came out in 1999 called Colobos, 
which almost feels like it predecesses Saw and My Little Eye and even Big Brother about a group of people who are put into a house that is wired with cameras and they are there thinking that they are being paid and that someone wants to watch them live together. At the same time, MTV's real world was huge. And this was kind of one of the original shows where it was people who don't know each other from all different walks of life put into one house and then the audience gets to watch everything that goes on. And so Colobos, even though that it's very small and very low budget and not without its flaws, it really does seem to be kind of a horror version of the real world where these people feel and they are moving into this house and then really quickly they start getting picked off and they realize that the cameras have a sinister motive, that the whole reason that they're there has this sinister motive. And then we see this again in 2002 with the movie My Little Eye, which is a British movie and is absolutely amazing. If you have not seen My Little Eye, I highly recommend it. And this is kind of the same setup of a group of people who are put in this super isolated farmhouse and they think they are there because they are part of this kind of reality TV show that these people are watching them and that eventually they're going to be released and they will get millions of dollars from making it through this adventure. And so now we have big brotherish films coming into play. The idea that people know they are being watched but are doing it willingly as part of a game. And then in 2004, we have Saw. And even though that at first look, Saw does not feel like a real technology heart. It's a group of people, or in the first movie, two, put into a room and being forced to kind of saw off their own limbs. It does not feel like a technology horror. But as it continues going, the technology of the traps comes in, but also the whole idea of surveillance, that these people are put through trials and tribulations, and the whole time they are aware that they are being watched, that this kind of all-seeing technological eye is watching them, and in a sense, controlling everything that they do. So again, we have this massive paranoia coming out, that we are being watched, that constantly we are being controlled by other things. So by the time that we get into the 2000s, we're seeing this fantastic technology horror boom going on over in South Korea, in Thai horror films, and in Japanese horror films. We see The Ring, we see One Missed Call, and these are the original versions, not the U.S. remakes. We see Cairo, which is absolutely amazing. Cairo um, was remade into the American film Pulse. I do not recommend that one. I definitely recommend checking out Cairo, the original one, which is this absolutely amazing commentary on our connection to technology and how we are kind of losing ourselves in it, how people are connecting online, but ultimately becoming ghosts because of it. And so it's this whole kind of concept of curses spreading through technology. We see it with one missed call where it's spreading through cell phone, the ring, it's spreading through videotapes, um, in shutter, it's spreading through a camera. And it's this whole idea of technology is causing our downfall, that technology is spreading the curse. There's actually a really good film streaming on Hulu right now from just last year, 2019, that I highly recommend called Wounds, um, which was polarizing. I will say that this um, horror fans, when I read the, the reviews on Letterboxd and everything of this one, it did seem to be kind of bifurcated between fans who absolutely loved it and horror fans who did not like it at all. And I have to say, I was on the love it side. Um, but in the movie Wounds, it focuses on a bartender who finds a cell phone in his bar after hours. 
and it's just got these horrific images on it and it kind of pushes him um, and his girlfriend to this website um, and they start going insane from there. But it all begins with technology. And so going back to that we were seeing this technological boom um, coming out of some of the Asian territories, they had been doing this for a while and in many ways much more in-depth and thought out than we were doing here in the States. Um, the whole idea of the Matrix, they had been exploring that for a long time. And two of the ones um, that I absolutely love that don't get nearly enough attention, Perfect Blue and then also Serial Experiments Lane. Both Perfect Blue and Serial Experiments Lane really kind of explore the idea of identity and internet celebrity and self-understanding through technology. And they do completely different things with it, but they both really kind of dive into it in these ridiculously smart ways that I have not seen in a lot of stateside cinema. So I highly recommend checking them out. They are anime, Perfect Blue, and then the anime television series Serial Experiment Lane. So then by the time that we get into the 2000s, we are starting to see a lot of what I will call internet horrors. There were a lot of movies that came out about websites that you can go to kill people. We saw fear.com, we saw the card player, and they were, um, in addition to many others, about these websites that you could supposedly go to on the dark web where you could watch people being killed. And so we do see this kind of concept of the dark web infused into a lot of horror films, that there's this thing out there that we don't know what happens there, but it is the absolute worst thing that you can possibly think of. Two of the more contemporary ones that have kind of this fear of the internet, The Den, I found rather amusing, and then also Unfriended. And I was so skeptical when I first saw the trailers for Unfriended. I remember kind of joking that it was like Facebook the movie, and I found it to be so good. And it is ultimately kind of a ghost story, but the way that it unfolds through different websites, different face pages. Facebook pages, um, the whole thing kind of unfolding online. It's really captivating and well-woven mystery. And I highly recommend checking um, the original Unfriended out. And even though that it was definitely a polarizing film, I do have to give some appreciation to George Romero's 2007 Diary of the Dead for what it was trying to do. This was George Romero's found footage cinema verte zombie film. And it takes place in the same universe as kind of his other zombie films, but it really does look at where we were heading at the time. If there was a zombie outbreak in current society, where would we go to? The internet is the only source of information, and it's really exploring the idea that the most important source of information becomes bloggers and that that's where we're getting everything from. And it really does explore the idea that we're seeing the, the world through this camera lens and through our computer screens. And even though that it did get a lot of flack with fans, and there's definitely things that um, the film lacks that I, I loved about other Romero films, I appreciated what it was trying to do and the statement that it was trying to make about technology. And now we're entering into the late 2000s. And so before we get to 2010, we are starting to see my beloved Japanese techno gore. We have Meatball Machine in 2005, which is about aliens who come down to Earth and take over human bodies to force us to fight. Um, so it, it's a silly concept, and it's a rather silly movie as well, but it's fun and hyper gory, and the aliens force people to kind of soup up their bodies and become these crazy techno machines before they battle each other. 
We see Tokyo Gore Police in 2008, which is both not only about emerging technology and the internet and pop culture trends in the future and this kind of dystopian universe. It is also about kind of genetic mutations and where we are going to evolve with our genes in the future. We have Machine Girl in 2008, Robo Geisha in 2009, and then Mutant Girl Squad in 2010. A lot of the same people working on these films, all of them having this kind of campy, fun, humorous quality, but also super over-the-top gore and really pushing the idea of sci-fi technological advancements and then how society is benefiting or falling from them. But we really can't talk about technology and horror without talking about Black Mirror. This has been one of the most impactful media products, I would say, of the past several years in that everyone can think of at least one episode that kind of shook their soul. There's ones that I walked away and said, oh my God, that was beautiful, like San Junipero. And then there are the episodes that are so hard hitting that I walk away and I find myself thinking about them. I find myself thinking, oh my God, is that where we're headed? They make me question my use and love of technology. They make me question my use and love of social media. They make me question our future. But that doesn't stop me from kind of, you know, pushing the technology and still using my phone the next morning. But I found that because these do resonate so much, I can't binge watch Black Mirror. A lot of shows I binge watch, I will watch five episodes in a row while I'm working during the day, but I can't do that with Black Mirror. I have to let them sit because it feels like they are sitting so close to home. They are really hitting something that I go, okay, yeah, that, that seems kind of scary. That seems like where we might be headed. And in that, we are headed for more technology horror. In 2018, we had the absolutely amazing film Upgrade come out from Blumhouse. At its core, it's a man-meets-machine movie, but it does such smart things with it and really um, kind of confronts it in this, in this new way that really kind of made me say, wow, we, we have a lot more to discuss in technology horror. So some of the themes that I think we are going to see in technology horror as we continue into the 2020s, I think we're going to see more technology about our own bodies and kind of the fear of advancing medical solutions. Because that is one of the things that I think we're going to see a lot in the next coming decades. As soon as I heard news about people being able to culture organs or about grow your own organs, or even I heard a news article about potentially being able to print human tissue with a tissue printer. As soon as we have news stories about this, filmmakers' gears start spreading. The fear starts spreading. We get paranoid. Would you put an artificial organ into your body that had been grown in a lab? And we've seen movies that explore this before, but as soon as this becomes something that is a little bit more commonplace in society, we are definitely going to see more fears about technological medical advancements. I also think we are going to see more horrors that are kind of pushing forward with the concept of losing grip on reality, not necessarily into the idea of a virtual reality environment, but more so online. I myself am fascinated about the idea of creating realities via the internet, creating personalities and people that don't exist online. And so I'm sure we have many more horror films coming. I also think we're going to see a good amount of horror films coming out within the next couple of years that deal with the elements of our own lives that we have come to rely on via our phone. Things like 
Uber, TaskRabbit, online banking, email, um, even just grocery delivery, some of the most basic human tasks that we've come to do and rely on through our phone. I have a feeling that we're going to see some some horror films come out around that because there is this paranoia aligned with it. We do have this validated paranoia that when we come to rely on a device like our phones for our entire lives, for everything from how we move around our money to what we eat, to how we talk to our friends, to how we communicate with our parents, to how we do our jobs, that something could get in the way, that something could hinder this, that something could take over and change everything. And then ultimately, we're going to see more horror films about what it is to be human and how we're kind of losing grips on that. We have the new Invisible Man film coming out in a couple of months. And from the trailer, it looks absolutely amazing how Lee Winnell was able to kind of take the idea of the Invisible Man and the technological advancements that went into that and think about what is the scariest application of that technology. And with that, we see just in the trailer the idea of if I can't see it, it does not exist. Of it if, if it is not a physical corporeal being in front of me, it is not human. And so I have a feeling that we're going to keep pushing this concept of what is human. As we see more artificial intelligence come into play, what is human? We just, um, within the past decade, we've had a couple that did this, Ex Machina, um, Attila did this. Just within the past decade, we've had a couple of films that did this, like Ex Machina, but I don't think we're done. I think we are just hitting the cusp of kind of questioning what is real, what is human, and what is not. And these questions are not easily answered. They're big, heady questions that we are all scared of as a society. And so filmmakers are going to keep pushing there. So ultimately, this is just the beginning. And I have to say that one of the places that I have found an amazing amount of technology horror just within the past couple of years is creepypastas. And I never really get the chance to talk about creepypastas in my film classes or even on the numerous podcasts that I do because they aren't films. They're just internet stories. But I have found so many amazing technological horrors in the creepypasta world that seems to be what a lot of them focus on, is this idea of technology changing us or finding something through technology, or I found this creepy picture on the internet and then this thing happened, or I found this weird website and then this thing happened. And so since we are seeing it as kind of this grassroots level at this homespun home written internet level, I think that these stories are going to keep growing. We obviously feel something. We feel some type of mistrust and paranoia, but at the same time, an embracement of love of technology. None of us can be away from our phones for more than a few minutes, but at the same time, we're, we're well aware of that. And we're well aware that there is some type of problem involved with that, that it has become a compulsion, that there is a mental reliance on technology. And so as we move into the 2020s, keep an eye out for more technological horrors. Please message me on socials and let me know as you find them. Right now with my students, I just taught a class on technological horrors a couple of weeks ago, and I showed Existence from 1999, which when I saw it, I considered to be so groundbreaking. It completely blew my mind. 
My students, however, seemed rather unimpressed with it, saying that, you know, this whole concept of us emerging into a game that feels like reality, something that feels so real we can't tell the difference, they found to be silly. They thought that we would never get there, that there is never, technology is never going to reach a point where we will be unaware whether we are in technology or in reality. I'm not so sure about that. Have a great night, and I will talk to you next Nightmare University is a Fangoria Podcast Network original produced and hosted by Rebecca McKendry, producer Natasha Pacetta, executive producers Dallas Saunier and Phil Nobile Jr., associate producer Jessica Safa-Vemer, art and design by Ashley Detmering, sound recording design and mixing by David McKendry, music by The Serpentines, for Fangoria, Brandon Moynerdy, Jason Koslerich, and Rachel Wilson.